You are listening to the Daily Talks podcast where my mom, Dali, empowers parents like you with parenting tips. My mom's mission is to help parents make their child raising experience easier and more enjoyable by sharing valuable lessons to save in unnecessary struggles. The Daily Talks podcast is for any person already parenting or planning on parenting a child. Each week you'll hear different experts talk with my mom about important aspects of parenting, self-care, and of course her specialized area of bullying awareness and prevention. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, go ahead and do so now wherever you may be listening. And don't forget to set up your alerts so that you don't miss any episodes. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Dali Talks podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My guest today is Selene Luna. You might know her as Soledad on FX's Mayans MC, and she's also the voice of Tia Rosita in Disney Pixar's Academy Award and Golden Globe Awards winner, Coco. In 2019, Luna took to Washington, D.C. alongside U.S. Representative Maxine Waters and U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer to advocate for disability rights at a rally on Capitol Hill. Selene is currently featured on Huluween Dragstavaganza with a special A-list musical guest and surprise cameos to delight horror fans. I invited Selene after she and the Passionistas Project's leaders Amy and Nancy Harrington had a conversation with her about disability and her activism work. Um, And I felt like this is something that we definitely need to educate ourselves because there are too many misconceptions and stereotypes out, out there that we need to know for ourselves and also pass on to our children so that they don't end up becoming part of the problem. As you've heard me mention in the past, one of the most targeted groups of um, that get bullied are people with disabilities. So this is really important to me uh, because the more we understand people's disabilities, the less likely it is that we will just allow it to happen and that we will accidentally or purposely insult or mistreat them. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Selene. Enjoy. Selene, thank you so much once again for making time to come on to the Dali Talks podcast. So give us a little bit of background about who you are, how you grew up and what you do now. Uh, well, thank you, Dali, so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, well, um, my name is Selene Luna, and um, I am a little person, which means I'm three feet, nine inches tall. I was born in Tijuana, Mexico, but, and I was brought to the United States by my family when I was the age of three. I was three years old, and um, the reason my parents uh, brought us to this country was really because, uh, well, for a number of reasons, like most uh, immigrant families, you know, for a better life in general and a better future for their children. However, I was the only uh, disabled child born into this family. And upon my birth, the doctors in Mexico told my parents that um, they asked them, they asked my parents if they want, I'm quoting here, if they wanted to keep it. Uh, because back in the day, and this is any country, not just Mexico, um, I actually have a, a friend with a disability who was born in London and in, in the same generation, and he had the exact same experience. So where at the time, uh, children born with disabilities were considered disposable, and parents were generally advised to institutionalize the child and just wait for them to die. Wow. So... Of course, my parents are not animals. Actually, that's an insult to animals. Animals are more protective of their children than humans are. But um, my parents, uh, of course, thought that was outrageous. And, you know, they lived an impoverished life in Mexico. And uh, But they knew that they wanted better for their child, especially because of the attitudes they were getting from the medical profession in Mexico. And um, so that was one of the driving forces to... Uh, bring their family to the States. So um, my parents just wanted me to have better uh, medical attention, really, and more opportunities than somebody like me would have um, in their native country. Uh, So we came to America, and I guess long story short, maybe it's too late for that already, but, um, you know, we had a, a very difficult uh, challenging life as illegal immigrants. We were illegal immigrants. 
but in the 80s, we did become legal. So that did uh, help our lifestyle tremendously. Or, I mean, our quality of life, not lifestyle. And uh, so my parents were, um, you, you know, they, they were focused on just mere daily survival. And they did everything they could to, uh, you know, to help me with my own personal disability as a little person and but that was challenging you know they didn't speak the language I mean now they do but back then you know they didn't speak the language they were alone in this country they didn't have resources they didn't have support and so it was very difficult um down to um you, you know I grew up in Los Angeles and the public school system uh insisted that my parents placed me in special education classes regardless of my intellectual abilities. It was purely based on what I physically look like. And so, and I keep saying back in the day, this was, uh, I grew up in the 70s, 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. So back then, um, you know, children with disabilities were segregated from the general population in the public school system. And you know, people say, oh, yeah, well, you know, special education. There was no education about it. It was basically all disabled children were, regardless of what their specific conditions were, were just all clumped together in one holding area out of sight from the general population and just not educated, really, just held there. Uh, it's like a babysitting uh, prison, really. And my parents didn't want that for me. They, you know, they didn't speak the language. They were not from this country, but they knew that they didn't come to this country so that that would happen to me. Mm -hmm. And so they fought tooth and nail uh, and were able to get me integrated into the general school population. And um, so, you know, that, it was a huge accomplishment for my parents However, I still didn't get the adequate education. I was integrated into the classroom, but I was still the only disabled kid in the classroom and completely overlooked by all teachers. They didn't know what to do with me. Instead of just integrating me into the lessons, um, I was ignored and still kind of intellectually separated from the other kids. So... I had the intellectual ability, but I didn't have the opportunity to develop my critical thinking and excel in academics, which then would have contributed to my independence as a young adult. And so I did not have that opportunity. So um, that's the background of the adversity I came from. So with that, I actually, I decided to go into show business because I do have a very vivid memory as a five-year-old child. Uh, that's about the age where I think children begin to have self-awareness of, of who they are and their surroundings. And I, that's when I realized I was different. And growing up in L.A., very close to Hollywood, I grew up in the East L.A. projects. And so Hollywood was 30 minutes away, and it was a huge influence culturally. And so I decided as a little kid that I was going to get into showbiz so that people would stare at me on my terms and they would have to listen to me on my terms. And um, that's kind of how that happened. And so flash forward to today, um, I, I am an actress. I'm a, a, an actress on a dramatic TV show. I'm on, I play Soledad on FX's Mayans MC. And to my knowledge, I'm the first a uh, Latina little person who has a dignified acting role on a serious crime drama. Wow. In 2022. And, uh, yeah. So there's wow. a, an earful. I, it's hard to give the uh, whole background in a short uh, amount of time. Yeah. No, thank you so much. Um, so I, I have so many questions. Um, well, to begin with, Mm -hmm. As you were telling the story of how you were integrated into the classroom and you were not really given a proper education, you were just pretty much babysat, right? Were there any moments where you try to challenge yourself? And if so, how did the educators react to that? That's a very interesting question because um, I know that in my belly, I felt something was wrong. Like I knew, I knew it was wrong what I was experiencing. Because when I compared the school experience to my siblings, 
I, it wasn't the same for me. And so I, I didn't like that feeling of unfairness. And then as it was, my parents sacrificed so much just so we could have what we had. And the last thing I wanted to be was a burden. I was, I already knew and was made to feel like a burden and not out of um, abuse or anything like that. It's just my parents were exhausted and frustrated and sacrificed so much. And um, so I knew I was a burden on the family and that affected the daily dynamic. So I held a lot of my, what I felt things, things that I knew were injustice and unfair and that I was taking the brunt of, I held it in because I felt like I'm already a burden to the family, to the school, to society. I better just keep my mouth shut. Mm -hmm. So for those reasons, I didn't challenge anything because I thought if I challenge things, I'm going to be a bigger problem than I am already. Wow. So mm -hmm. I kept my mouth shut and I sucked it in knowing it was unfair. But this another element to that was that the constant message I received from school where I spent most of my time because, you know, you're at school all day while your parents are at work. And I was a latchkey kid on top of it, you mm -hmm. know, so my greater influences were the authorities at school and they made it perfectly clear from day one. I mean, I remember this going back to preschool that I would never be like everyone else. And so the expectations for me were really low. And so I accepted that as a very young child. So I accepted don't try because in the end, you're not going to have access to the same life that everyone else gets. So I also uh, became complacent, lazy and complacent, but I was just, I was highly intelligent. I know that's not a humble thing to say, but I say it now because of the frustration I feel over disabled children to this day who are not given the tools to develop their critical thinking. It's not fair. And without that critical thinking, you cannot become an independent contributing member of society. Mm -hmm. It's a systemic problem that holds us back and does not allow us to participate equally in society. Wow. Yeah. You know, to your point about realizing at such a young age, at preschool age, mm -hmm. that you had that feeling, you noticed what was wrong. You probably didn't have the words to articulate what was going on, but you definitely mm -hmm. felt it and, and saw it. Um, and I want to point that out because I think a lot of parents think, oh, they're too young to notice. They don't really know what's going on, but they certainly do. I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know as a little kid too, I noticed certain things. I remember my first time I noticed um, gender inequality. I was so little, <laughs> and, you know, I didn't have the words to call it anything. I just knew it was wrong. So um, I wanted to point that out. And also, um, you know, the, the fact that society to this day, see a person with a disability and immediately assume that they are intellectually not capable to do so much it is a problem that we we are still fighting against and that's something that you have been very um boisterous about you have taken up a lot of um of your time personal time to create awareness which is actually how we met when we were um on linkedin audio event with the passionistas amy and nancy harrington mm -hmm. um, and what caught my attention about that conversation is that you mentioned certain terms that I'd never heard before. And I thought, wow, this is the reason why there's so much ignorance in society about people with disabilities. And this is why people uh, with disabilities are still seen as inferior and we need to get these, these terms out there and educate more people. So um, would you mind if we go over some of them? Uh, I have a list of them that we discussed and I, I'd like to you know, hear your definition and, and explain how they came about so that our public um, becomes informed. Absolutely, I would love to. Thank you so much. Okay, so you mentioned inspiration porn. Mm -hmm. Please explain what that is. Because when I heard that, I was like, what is that? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a, a jarring uh, term to think about. Inspiration porn is a term that was coined in 2012 by a disability rights activist named Stella Young. And, um, and sadly, she's no longer with us. And she was an incredible, brilliant woman. And I'm sure you can find it if you Google it. 
she did a great TED talk about this uh, before she passed in 2014. I mean, she passed in 2014. I, I don't remember the year of the TED talk, but definitely look it up. I, I think it's worth it. And um, so inspiration porn is something that everybody, I mean, just about anyone who's on social media, any social media platform comes across and they don't realize they're coming across it. What this generally is, is um, you see it a lot in memes or uh, images posted on social media. Inspiration porn is the portrayal of people with disabilities as being inspirational to able-bodied people and to non-disabled people on the basis of their life circumstances. So, for example, there's like a, a photo of somebody, uh, of a wheelchair user weightlifting in the gym. And then with a caption that says, what's your excuse, mm -hmm. you know, or um, never give up, you know, before, you know, it, it, before you quit, try. Oh, or, or, the, or the commentary is like, wow, they're so brave. Oh, my God, look at them. They're so brave. And it's all coming from non-disabled people. Meanwhile, it's the non-disabled people that create the environment that causes us barriers they are the ones who are making it difficult for us to navigate through daily life, just in, in the most practical sense, like being able to open a door. Uh, you know, there, there aren't ramps everywhere. There are more steps than ramps all over the place, mm -hmm. you know, and that's just an example of the point I'm trying to make. And the reason, um, oh God, I lost my train of thought, but the, basically the reason, um, Stella Young used the, the term porn was um, deliberate because the, the, the use of the term porn deliberately uh, describes the objectification of one group of people to benefit another group of people. Mm -hmm. Like disabled people, we're not inspired by each other. There's nothing to be inspired by. We're all in the same struggle, you know? And the biggest struggle for all disabled people is and 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 I know I shouldn't be making blanket statements but I think I have enough experience living it where I, I'm allowed um but the biggest struggle for people with disabilities is not our actual disability it's societies it's the non-disabled society's perspective on disability mm -hmm. that is our biggest hurdle if people could just wrap their heads around the fact that we are not these like angelic one-dimensional beings that are put on this earth to make you feel better about yourself you know we have lives that are just as dynamic as anyone else's and we also are entitled to have the same access as everyone else does but we don't we simply are not allowed the same civil liberties as everyone else and that is an actual fact, a statistical fact. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, anyway, I, I think I went off uh, on a tangent here, but back to this, uh, to uh, inspiration porn, it is one of the most damaging things um, for in, in the disabled community because it perpetuates a misconception of what disability is about. And, it, you know, and non-disabled people just continue to stoke that fire and the truth is, if you truly, if you're a non-disabled person who's truly, genuinely inspired by a disabled person, you don't sit around posting memes and commenting on social media. The actual definition of the word inspiration means that you have an exhilarating urge to get up and do something. That it is an action. It's not a compliment. So don't sit back and feel good about your, or guilty about your good fortune. Get up and find out why this makes you feel fortunate. Everyone should feel fortunate, not just you. Do something about it. Uh, you know, you bring uh, so many good points about this because when I see people comment on those type of posts or memes, mm -hmm. I know that a lot of them mean well. They think that it's, uh, they're being nice people, mm -hmm. but it's almost, if you really think about it, like a double, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, a um, double-edged sword or a back backhanded compliment. Yes. Where yes. it's like, oh, you're not supposed to be doing that, 
but you are, therefore you get these kudos. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. a plus for you. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just, uh, insulting. And I never thought of it that way until I heard you explain that. And I thought, oh my gosh, have I done that? I'm pretty sure I have at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, again, it's because we're not educated on that. And we're also taught even in school. Cause I remember we had a, a, a kid who was in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and we were almost like encouraged to treat them extra special and extra compliments and, you know, like do all of that for him just because he was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a few years later, you know, we get older, go on to higher grades. I happened to interact with him um, like one-on-one and I, it, it dawned on me, I'm like, man, this kid is just like me. Yeah, I don't know why I thought he was so different just because he, he was in a wheelchair. And I remember him telling me, well, I like to play basketball. And I was like, what? You can play basketball when you're in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And it was just like that ignorant child, right? That nobody ever taught me. I was never around somebody in a wheelchair. So my perception, my assumption of this child's abilities and also um personality was so skewed based off of how the teachers had told all of us mm-hmm. how to interact with this child and and then I look back and I'm like gosh that's horrible I was part of the problem um so that's why we're having this conversation because I want parents to to mm-hmm. educate their children and also I'm sure a lot of adults are unaware of this as well um there was also um, a question that you and I had, well, a conversation you and I had mm-hmm. about the word disability, because mm-hmm. I have, um, when I have my anti-bullying workshops, I always mention that one of the largest demographics um, that is always targeted for bullying are people with disabilities. And that's globally, that's not just here in the United States, but if you mm-hmm. look at, you know, the studies, People with disabilities are always the number one uh, that are targeted and they suffer the most from it. So um, some of the education I try to bring in is the terms. You know, some people like to be referred to as a person with a difference. Some people like the word disability. So can you educate us on what is the right term or what is mostly accepted by the the disabled community? Um, Well, that's a fair question. Everyone's confused about it, including the disabled community, uh, you know, and, and and it just stems from um, generations of disability being viewed by society as the worst possible thing that someone can exist in, you know, as disabled. And um, so, you know, we are navigating through this, but ultimately the most empowering to me personally and from the disabled community that I'm involved in is just say disabled. Anything, and there is no debate. Anything outside of saying the word disabled is implying shame. Why dance around it? Why, and we talked about this the other day, but I think it's the perfect analogy because people understand this analogy. It's like referring to someone who is gay as differently heterosexual like you would never do that right like why just call it what it is Mm -hmm. it's like referring to an asian person as differently caucasian (laughs) you know it's like so just call it what it is the thing is by by just saying the word disabled you are shutting down all the negative connotation to it all the negativity around it because saying uh and i grew up being taught to say differently abled or um special needs there's nothing uh, special needs could not be more patronizing Mm -hmm. it's like it implies that you're just some weak delicate little helpless thing that needs special treatment we don't need special treatment we need equality we need equal access to what you have you're not doing us a favor. It's our civil liberty. So just say disabled. If somebody, whether they're disabled or not disabled, if they cannot say the word disabled, and ex- that's about their own shame and their own discomfort. It's got nothing to do with me. And it's got nothing to do with a disabled person. 
I completely agree with that statement because I've felt that discomfort mm-hmm. and, and it comes from a place of like, I don't know if I'm going to insult that person or not. If I say this. Right. Yeah. It, it, or, um, and, and if, and if a disabled person is insulted by it, I know it's difficult to approach when you're not disabled, but for me, I feel if I use it with somebody who is disabled and if they're uncomfortable with it, I will challenge them. What's wrong with being disabled? You know, why? Why? There's nothing wrong with it. I'm proud of my disability because it's made me the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I, I, I'm, I sleep very well at night. I'm proud of who I've become. Yeah. And, you know, somebody said this. I heard this the other day and I thought, I wonder if that's insulting, if it's fair to compare. But somebody said, well, a person who has a disability such as maybe, uh, you know, they they can't walk for some reason or they're blind. Mm -hmm. It's no different than somebody who is not able to run really fast. And I thought, hmm, is that fair or is that an insulting comparison? Because we all, all quote unquote, able people are not able to do something, right? Or several things. We just don't point it out because it's not obvious, which is a whole nother conversation of like visible disability versus non-visible disability. So um, do you think that it would be a helpful comparison if we thought of disabilities that way where, hey, everybody has something that they cannot do? And, and it, it's absolutely apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. It, it does, it, that is um, a very limited uh, perspective and also actively close-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, this isn't about self-esteem or anything's possible or everyone has a tough life. It's not about that at all. For, uh, for example, somebody who can't run as, you know, somebody who can't run, who's comparing themselves to somebody who needs an aid to walk, um, what they're doing is taking up space in an area that does not affect them the fact that you're not able to run as fast as you know whatever you think you should be able to run doesn't make you disabled it makes you out of shape (laughs) you know um and also it doesn't keep you from climbing stairs Mm -hmm. it doesn't keep you from entering a public building it doesn't keep you from employment opportunities it doesn't hinder you from discrimination um, at the university level, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't hinder you from voting. Um, I've had those physical encounters where I couldn't vote because the voting center wasn't set up for somebody with a disability, and even though it's illegal. So that is just garbage, ableist trash. And there's, I'm sorry, I, I got to put it bluntly, there's no gentle way to approach that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and instead of why don't you keep your mouth shut and get informed about what we're really talking about and don't take up space where you don't need to. Yeah. Thank you so much for answering that. Because when I heard that, I thought, you know, like, that's an interesting way to think about it. But I don't think it's the same thing. And and but you you explained it so much better because you mentioned, you know, it doesn't stop you from getting fair employment or from walking upstairs. So thank you so much. Um, Mm -hmm. I I had to ask it because I didn't know how to explain it to to people or at least, you know, um, express my point of view on that. And I, and I apologize for being overly frank. I I just, Uh I, I still, I'm still trying to navigate this without leading with pain and anger. Yeah, no, no, no worries. Because you know what? Um, having to hear those things all the time has got to be exhausting and it would probably tick me off after. I mean, there's got, you're human. You have the right to be ticked off because you hear this all the time. And also Mm -hmm. just, I'm sure that you have, um, experienced this in almost every aspect of your life, which actually this segues into my next question, Mm -hmm. um, since you went into acting, you mentioned something in that conversation I heard about little people having been historically hired onto television or in the entertainment industry only as, um, I think you said, people who work in the circus, correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong. Would no, you elaborate on this? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you for asking that question because um, as a little person, the level of ableism we experience as little people is on a whole nother level separate of separate from the general disabled population because the way we've been looked at and portrayed uh, throughout society throughout history in the entire world is as non-human beings so disability aside we're not even considered humans and hollywood continues to perpetuate that attitude because um we're seen and treated as creatures not people like i mean it's shocking to me that we're in 2022 and little people are still by far portrayed on television and in films in every country as um you know creatures like monsters and elves and uh just non-human enchanted forest beings and just faceless uh creatures inside costumes and everybody always tries to challenge me with well what about peter dinklage what about peter dinklage okay i you know i really respect and admire peter dinklage but why is it that we are only allowed one heterosexual white man to represent an entire community of people. What if Jackie Chan was the only Asian allowed in any television show or film at, to represent the entire Asian population? It's like, why is that okay? It's not dignified to be represented as non-human creatures in pop culture. And the reason it's so important is because the media controls popular culture. And so what you see on TV and films, uh, in print ads, is what people take as a representation of a group of people. So then when you, we are not seen as human beings, we get bullied by society because we don't have feelings, we don't matter, we're not real people. So you could, so that's where, um, that's why dwarf tossing exists or midget tossing, whatever they call it. That's why that exists. Wait, what you is know? it? Oh, dwarf tossing? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. This is the real thing. You, you should, uh, I, I encourage anyone listening who's never heard about this to Google it. Mm -hmm. It is an actual sport and I'm using legitimate in quotes. It is a legitimate quote. I mean, sport where, uh men go into a boxing ring pick up a little person and toss them wow dwarf tossing is an actual sport and since little people don't have income and employment equity mm -hmm. they are forced to then make a living with these humanizing types of ways wow and um even when Peter Dinklage, I forgot what year it was, but the year he won the Emmy, he look up his Emmy speech. He spoke about this. He's a huge advocate against dwarf tossing. And he spoke about it because that year, uh, a little man was killed or, or paralyzed. I think he was paralyzed as a result of dwarf tossing. And absolutely no one was held accountable. He lost his ability to walk. He lost his livelihood. And I believe he ended up dying. I might be wrong, but something like that happened. So, um, God, I can't remember how we got to this place. I forgot the question. I apologize. The the question, <laughs> it's okay. Um, because I asked you about what was dwarf tossing. Oh, and, right. Yeah. But I forgot why I brought it up. But um, and anyways, so oh oh pe oh little people in showbiz. Yeah. So so that so that's an example of how we're exploited for uh non-disabled people's entertainment and like for so i challenge anybody to tell me when's the last time they saw a little person man or woman who was not peter dinklage uh on a tv or film that was not in a costume you know or some kind of but or if they're not in a costume they're in a prank show as the butt of the joke mm -hmm. in fact last week i got a phone call um and from a major production company 
for a major network. I'll say the network is ABC. This show, this is the prank show that's going to air on ABC next year. And and the host, uh, there are three hosts who are all major household names. And the producer behind this is a huge household name. But I'm going to keep my mouth shut as far as those names go because I want to continue working. But um, <laughs> But they called me. And they were really excited because they specifically uh, thought of me personally to do this prank show with them. They wanted to know if I would be in a prank where the butt of the joke was simply being a little person. That's it. That's the joke. I'm a little person. That's all that happens. I'm just being myself. Mm -hmm. I just look the way I do. That is the joke. So, of course, I <laughs> told them to go to hell. But... um. But that's 2022, and this show's going to air in 2023. I don't know if they're going to move forward with that prank, but that is the mentality. And so me being the first Mexican-American little person on a dignified TV show, as and I play a real person, and on the TV show, it's not even addressed that I'm little or disabled at all. It doesn't matter. And so I have this opportunity now and this platform and it's all because the people behind the show are really evolved and they have a handle on what it actually means to be inclusive. And mm -hmm. so I'm very proud to work for them. And um, this is FX. They're an incredible uh, organization to have given me this opportunity. Yeah, that's really um, progressive. It's mm -hmm. very different too. And hopefully it normalizes uh, this uh, seeing people, uh, little people on television because I do like, I had to look up who Peter Hinkling is because it's not a name that just you automatically know. And so for those um, listening, he played. Um, well, in, he. he I'm sorry to interrupt. He's a, actually a very well-respected uh, actor mm -hmm. who's, uh, he's, there has never been a little person who has broken the glass ceiling like he has. He's the star of Game of Thrones on HBO, as well as other major feature film, blockbuster films. Right, okay. yeah. So, like, um, uh, so everyone should know his name. Right, Goldmember, what was that called? I think it was, I can't remember the name of the movie, but yeah. So, cause, cause I looked him up. I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen him in so many um, films. Yeah. You um, know the face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know the face. <laughs> wow. So um, thank you for sharing about that. Cause you know, like that, that term dwarf tossing, I cannot believe that that's even legal um, mm -hmm. because that would totally not be acceptable if it were any other person without. Exactly. Could um, you imagine wheelchair tossing? Right. Like, can you imagine somebody standing there? Right, like, oh, let's toss the Leonardo DiCaprio around. <laughs> nobody, nobody would go for that. Um, what about the term little person? Because I know that there's different terms out there. And so uh, what is the correct term so that we don't insult, um, you know, little people? Because I've heard mm -hmm. dwarf. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I know for sure midget is not acceptable but mm -hmm. you and I had a conversation about that how that's something that people are trying to take back mm -hmm. um well uh so just as my disclaimer I'm not an academic I'm not a professor or a researcher all I can do is share what I believe um is the dignified terminology and what my peers uh my little people peers uh, agree with, you know, at, mm -hmm. at least from what I've been exposed and what feels right in my heart. Um, so first off, the word midget is horrible. And the reason why, and um, excuse me, the reason why is because it has a history that traces back to the sideshows of the circus era. That's when people with uh, disabilities and little people were exploited for entertainment. And at the time, uh, the little people were called midgets. And, you know, come see these midgets. And um, they were pretty much, I mean, even though they were paid, 
they were bought and sold like property and um and also and treated like garbage and exploited like objects like non-human beings and so um for example the, the most famous little person most people have heard of is general tom thumb he was the biggest and first celebrity in the world ever he was the first celebrity he was like the kardashians of the 1800s he was the first celebrity in the world but he was a little person who was sold to the circus by his parents at age four wow and pt barnum uh exploited him and uh toured him and exploited him he was given cigars and wine at age five just so people can watch they would dress him up as a little man and I mean, it is really, he got no education. Uh, it, it, it's really horrific what happened to this child, but he actually grew up to be the first celebrity in history and made a lot of money, a lot of money, but it was all at the price of his dignity and also at the price of his autonomy. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that is why we don't like the word midget because it, refers back to the days of being bought and sold and exploited through the circus now the term dwarf it, it's my understanding that it does cover pretty much all short stature conditions and dwarf is simply the medical term uh that is used to refer to somebody born with a short stature condition and there are hundreds and hundreds of varying conditions so it's really difficult to pinpoint one term. And I personally prefer little person because I think it just automatically spells out that I'm a person of short stature. And to me, it's a comfortable blanket term that kind of covers everybody with this condition. And so that's what I'm most comfortable with. And people that I interact with are comfortable with interchangeably with little person and dwarf and but our community does come across some individuals who don't have a problem using the word midget they 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 justify it by stating that they're taking ownership of it so you know that just simply does not work for me because i want to separate myself from a history that took away the autonomy of people like me yeah to me person. to me i don't want to give it any airtime. Mm -hmm. i don't want to keep it alive there's no reason for it to me in my personal opinion there's nothing empowering about perpetuating something that was oppressive mm -hmm. so i'd rather take ownership and using a completely new term that had nothing to do with the circus yeah and so that's okay. just my own personal take yeah, thank you so much for for explaining that. And I did look up um, the word uh, dwarf, mm -hmm. and it does say a personal a, a person of abnormally small physical stature resulting from a medical or genetic condition. And it mm -hmm. goes on; it explains further more about it. Um, so that's that's really good. I had to ask that because I actually had that conversation a while back with um, several people who somehow we came up with this uh, uh, conversation because there was something on television that that uh, um, post the whole conversation. Um, and I. I tend to correct people sometimes and they find me annoying. <laughs> Where they're like, like, you're not supposed to say that word. And they're like, oh, you don't even know. So I had to ask. I'm like, maybe I've been wrong this whole time. But um, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I like to um, inform myself because I know that I, I these conversations do come up. And um, part of my job is to educate people, you know, when mm -hmm. I have these workshops and it's important to me that children know about this because we end up socializing our children to think a certain way. And sometimes those ways are so wrong. I mean, we've seen what happens, wars and discrimination, genocide, all kinds of stuff, because people, you know, you feed a child a certain idea, then they can grow up and, and do harm or they can do a lot of good with with what, what they're, they're taught. Mm -hmm. um, are there any last um, examples that you can give us that we should not be practicing when when we see a little person? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and I'm really happy you asked this because one of uh, the most intrusive things that happens to us, and this happens to all disabled people actually, um, is we don't get the privacy in public that everyone else gets. Uh, for example, um, you know, random strangers just will come up to you and ask, what happened to you? You know, and, and it happens on a regular basis. Like I can't leave the house without being approached. And it's so intrusive. And just because someone is disabled or a little person doesn't mean they're on public display for your curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, you do, you are not entitled to just ask. Mm -hmm. You gotta just accept. Um, we're, you know, um, you do not need to know. And what you think you need to know shouldn't matter to your acceptance of disability. So whether you accept us or not, we exist and it's not about you mm -hmm. and it's got nothing to do with you. So even if your question isn't aimed at obtaining private medical information, it still interrupts and invades um, in ways our non-disabled peers ever have to deal with. You know, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the DMV and this non-disabled gentleman, very polite, he was just curious, I was in the middle of my DMV interaction and this guy comes over and interrupts me and say, excuse me, excuse me, miss, um, what should I call you? Do you prefer little person or, or midget? I was having this debate with my friend and just goes on and on. And I'm like, uh, I'm in the middle of a DMV interaction. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I was in the middle of a registering my vehicle. What the hell? You know, yeah. but he would never do that to a non-disabled person. Right. Never. So, um, you, you know, you think uh, you're just being nice. I'm just trying to be nice. It's like, no, you're invading privacy. And so that is really, I think, the point, I, the la the point I'd like to leave. It's just like, just because somebody doesn't look like you doesn't entitle you to any information from them. Mm -hmm. And if there's something you're dying to know, go to your own research. We shouldn't have to be responsible for educating our oppressor and making you feel good about the hurdles you put us in. So it's just a vicious cycle. Yeah. And just, just respect our autonomy. Right. And, and to be honest, right now, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, am I violating that with you by bringing- No, 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 please. I agree to, no, 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 no. I'm participating in a dialogue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one thing if I'm minding my own business in my private life, grocery shopping, and you just randomly come up and start asking me personal questions. Right. Yeah. Or just, you just Yeah. No, no, no. But this is why I, I like doing podcasts like yours in particular, because it's an opportunity to share information. And I am volunteering to put myself in a public space. You know, so it, it it does not compare at all to what I was referring to with privacy. Thank you. And I really appreciate it because um, it, it's hard sometimes to ask, like, hey, are you willing to have this conversation? Because mm -hmm. you never know. Some people might be completely against it. But I'm very grateful that you have um, volunteered to come on to the Dali Talks podcast and educate our listeners. And of course, that you are a representation, you are Latina, you're a little person, which is huge for uh, the community, your community. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's going to change um, the way that able-bodied people see little people. And, and hopefully we'll learn more about like what not to do. And also, um, how can we support you, by the way? Like, how can we support you in your career? Aside from watching Mayans or mm -hmm. going and watching Coco again for like the millionth time, which I will <laughs> because <laughs> you were the voice of Rosita yes so before we wrap it up let, let's lighten it up a little bit um can we would you mind sharing mm -hmm. what were some of your favorite moments or memories while working on Coco oh what a sweet question um you know I, I gotta be honest the entire experience was memorable for me it was um deeply moving and fulfilling to me like every day I went to work I could not believe it was happening because um 
as I shared in the, the podcast, uh, as I shared where you and I met on the uh, Amy and Nancy show, um, the reason Coco is so special is because it is the first uh, Hollywood, big Hollywood studio film that cast an all Latino cast. And, you know, Pixar put so much time and energy and I don't know if people realize this. They researched for years. I mean, it took like a decade to make this film because mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that our culture was properly represented, accurately represented uh, for the beauty that it is and to make sure there was no exploitation. And so they worked really, really hard to make sure this film was not whitewashed. Um, so that in itself, so to be involved in in part of that team and that effort was um, just so deeply fulfilling to me. Every day was an absolute special treat for me. And um, our director, Lee Unkrich, uh, he was a big part of my positive experience. He was a very calming, very supportive, very comforting presence. And he really held my hand through it because he wanted to make sure that, you know, it was just a great experience for everybody. And we produced the best possible product to represent the Mexican culture in the most beautiful manner that it deserved. So yes. I, it's really just all encompassing for me. It's, um, but to, you know what, to boil it down to one specific experience, mm -hmm. um, you know, while we were uh, making the film, you know, none of the actors got the complete script. You only got, while you're recording, you only got your lines because they wanted to keep the whole story a secret. Mm -hmm. and, and that's actually pretty common with large studio productions because of hacking, yeah. uh, because mm -hmm. of the hacking problem online you know, films get stolen before they're completed. And so that is really a security measure that's pretty common. And for that reason, I had no idea how the movie, what really happened. I didn't know how the movie ended or where it really, the direction it really took. And so for me, the most uh, memorable experience was watching it at the same night that everybody got to watch it at the uh, premiere and seeing the turns that it took and the ending and how beautiful it was and I was sobbing and I had no idea it was going to be such a tearjerker so I, I came out of there feeling so proud I, it, it was more beautiful than I could have imagined I think I think it was a tearjerker for every single person who watched it um, yeah. you know in my household um, it was completely new because we're Nicaraguan so <laughs> we didn't have any idea about what the significance of Dia de los Muertos really was about. Mm -hmm. We heard, and and it's crazy because I grew up in California, mm -hmm. but but if you're not practicing that, then you just don't really get it, right? So yeah. it was, I agree. I think that they did a phenomenal job because when I was watching that movie, I thought, oh my God, it is so beautiful. Like mm -hmm. everything about it, you could tell that they put so much heart into each, each character and all the animation. And um, as a Latina, it made me proud that the Mexican culture is part of the Latino experience. Though it's yeah. not mine, particularly for my country, mm -hmm. it's just one of those things that makes you even prouder to be Latina, you know? Yep. So it, yep. it was it was amazing. So I can imagine, um, like, going down in history saying, wow, I was part of that. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what about your current show, Mayans? Any Mayans? Yeah. Oh, totally sorry, go ahead. Right? <laughs> oh, big time. It, it's a huge shift. I mean, this is definitely not for kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a very serious, very dark, and sometimes violent um, crime show. And uh, but I'm very proud to work on it because of the show creators and the production staff um they um got it, it's really hard to encapsulate uh, all the wonderful things about this team but you know bottom line it all rolls down from the top 
and our show creator, Elgin James. Uh, he's incredibly talented, and director, producer, uh, writer, uh, because he himself has his own fascinating story. Um, he grew up in a life of adversity, and so he understands what real inclusion should look like. And so the reason, you know, I'm on the show because it was very important for him to represent somebody with a disability with respect and dignity. And it was his vision that made that happen. And so he's determined, he's, he's you know, when it comes to equality and inclusion, he sets the standard. And this is why this show is so special to me. But on top of the fact that it's brilliantly written, it's a great drama. And, um, and, and it's a drama that takes place around a Mexican motorcycle club. And so, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of my culture enmeshed in it. And it's, it feels very organic to me and it's very real. And it's, uh, it's a crime show. So, it's not like uh, you want to aspire to be one of these guys mm -hmm. when you grow up, mm -hmm. but it's just to show that entertainment's just entertainment. Right. And why not have uh, Latino actors doing it? Right. Absolutely. Wow. And last question. So um, for any child that feels right now that they have limitations due to their disability, what advice would you give them or what, what inspirational something would you give mm -hmm. them? Well, for children, if, if there's a child out there listening who's disabled in any way or just feels like an oddball in the world, maybe even, you might even feel alone in your own home. Um, just know that there is a world out there that you have the power to tackle in whatever way you choose, but you have to work hard for it. You have to be prepared to rise above all the negative messages that are around you. Just because somebody tells you life is a certain way or somebody tells you that you can't do a certain thing, there doesn't mean it's a fact. It is up to you to be the architect of your destiny. And specifically, if you're a child with a disability, you have to accept the reality that you have to work harder than your peers. It will be more difficult for you, but that is not a reason to not do it. And you, you just make the decision to do it. That's all you need to know. And don't listen to any outside voice because they don't know what they're talking about. Absolutely. It's very sage advice. Selene, thank you so much for being here with us, for uh, sharing about your experience and giving us all these tips um, and also for being part of the entertainment industry so we can watch you on there and enjoy your work. Um, any, um, any other way that we can support you before we go? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Um, honestly, I just by virtue of being invited to speak on your podcast, I feel supported. So I appreciate that very much. And, um, you know, it wouldn't hurt if you watch me play Soledad on Mayans and mm -hmm. MC. And um, you can write to FX and demand more. <laughs> oh, there we go. So, yeah. um, but in all sincerity, though, the way you could really help uh, the disabled community at large is just in your day-to-day -day life while you're navigating the world. Let's say you go to your favorite dress shop. It's a little boutique. But you notice that there isn't a ramp to get in the door. Or you notice that the door is extra heavy and not accessible. Go in there and ask the owner, why is that? Ask the owner why, or when you're at the store and you find yourself at the butcher shop and there's a really high counter, ask them, how would you assist somebody with a disability? Why aren't, why don't you have a lower counter? So you could do things and demand things, uh, you know, just because you're not experiencing a disability yourself doesn't mean you should be complicit to not allowing others access. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. And then one final thing, I'm sorry, I'm, I ramble so much. Um, finally, and most important, I think, is um, to challenge your local um, politicians. Challenge politicians at the grassroots level 
when somebody's asking you for their vote locally, ask them, what are you doing to uh, make sure everyone has access to what I get? You know, demand it from your politicians because we have to make sure that trickles up to Capitol Hill. Yeah, very, very sage advice. Um, I, I love it because I always preach on use the power of your voice and that's exactly what you're, you're telling mm -hmm. us to do. So thank Great. you once again, Selene. Um, I, I really appreciate it and I look forward to seeing more of your work. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And I want to say thank you so much for what you do. It's really important that uh, people like you are out there speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that you really learned a lot um, from my conversation with Selene. I had to have her on the show because um, it's just a conversation that we don't have very often. So please... Uh, listen to it again if you need to share it with others, especially if you know that there's a person out there that really needs to hear this message because maybe they're purposely or maybe accidentally offending people with a disability. Um, I cannot stress how important this is. I know that I have um, family members who have a disability and I firsthand have seen how some people treat them, especially when the disability is not visible, which is a whole nother conversation that we could have. So thanks again for watching. Please share and leave a review if you have some time. It only takes like a minute or two. And I hope that you have an amazing week. Until next time. Hey, did you like that episode? If you did, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you may be listening and write a review. If you want more tips or some behind-the-scenes videos, make sure to follow my mom at Dolly Talks on Instagram. You can turn on notifications for her posts and stories as well. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. See you next time.